This episode was recorded down under. Alright, alright, alright. We're back again with another episode of Around the Post. It's your boy Jay and Mark Figaroa in the building. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm excited today. Um, I feel like this is the first, like, first episode maybe since November where I feel like we have too many things to talk about. Um, a lot of active topics and exciting things about players I'm a fan of. Our favorite players are doing pretty well. Um, where's your head at? How you feeling? How's your week been? Tell me everything, man. Oh, I've been good. Just uh, watching a lot of Australian Open, a lot of uh, uh, tennis. So I'm excited. Um, where do you want to start? Because I know you always have our topics. You're our curator. Even I have some topics this week. So it's a busy week. Um, where do we start today? Okay, we're going to start with the women. We're going to start with uh, Radakanya makes an interesting move. Now, ever since uh, winning the U.S. Open, she's been struggling. Mm -hmm. And she lost in the second round of the Australian Open. Mm -hmm. So she said that she's going to stop playing tournaments and actually just practice without playing tournaments for a while. Wow. Uh, Matt Svelander, who's a former uh, slam champion, Mm -hmm. and he's a commentator now here and there. he He said that that's actually a big mistake. Mm-hmm. that she should keep playing tournaments and fine-tuning her game. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Do you think she should uh, just practice or keep playing tournaments? I was going to ask you. I've never heard a player say that before. Not me neither. Um, what could you possibly benefit from not playing tournaments? Because you and me know, just from our own life experience, you can't replicate tournament play at home. Right. You just can't. Um it sounds like she's in her own head big time. She's having confidence issues. She's having doubts. It's definitely, in my opinion, a mistake. Um, I think that she needs to get back on the tour and take her lickings, you know, um, take your losses where you take your losses and just go in with the mentality of if I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. That is the most healthy thing she could do. Yeah, I uh, I think that. She's not really struggling with a shot per se. It's most likely her confidence, and she's only mm. going to get better just by playing matches. Right. So I, I don't understand that. But the reason why I uh, wanted to talk about Radakanya was because uh, she Sloane Stevens in the first round once she lost, mm-hmm. she said that she needs to be more uh, polite and be more professional. Mm-hmm. So she was saying that when Radakanya was beating her, that she'd come on a lot. Mm. And a la fetter yeah and young fetter young fetter yeah. yes and then after the loss sloan stevens said okay i'm not being bitter because i lost but she said that i'm um up higher in the rankings meaning mm. uh, she's above me in the rankings and she shouldn't be celebrating as if she just won the slam yeah uh what are your thoughts on what sloan stevens said about radicanya um, for me, that's a little bit sensitive of Sloane Stevens to even say that, but she's not wrong. You know, um, getting overly excited and overly arrogant at a first round match, um, it, it shows a lot of different things. For one, it shows the self-esteem out there um, when you're trying to get in your opponent's head that you're doing well. Um, it also shows that you're 
you're you're overly celebratory over the bare minimum. You know, this is a two week tournament. You're on day one, yelling, "Come on!" at your opponent. You know, this should be you know come in with the suitcase. This should just be business. Come in, take care of business, go home, go back and rest. That's it. Um, she, you can tell that she is in her head from day one of the tournament. Um, I think that Sloane Stevens has more wisdom and maturity. Obviously, she's a slam winner. And she knows, hey, go into round one with an open mind and know that, you know, nothing's guaranteed. You try to get your win and you move forward, you know. And when the stakes get higher, of course, you know, be more celebratory. But right now, focus on the business. Sounds like Radakan, you hasn't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, so there's going to be more of a losing players of uh, making a lot of uh, complaints about the winning player mm-hmm. uh, but uh yeah i agree uh, that that speaks about the confidence yeah she's been losing after the u.s open mm-hmm. so she makes a little point and she's celebrating as if she won yeah so that just says the confidence level super down mm-hmm. so she really needs to play more and just uh get better you know she needs to expect to win the first round right you know so i'm not happy with that i agree now moving on, American women make a statement at the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Now, um, with Serena Williams out, you'd figure that not a lot of American women would have been there. Mm-hmm. But Anna Samova had a war with Osaka, and I'll talk about that a little later. Mm-hmm. But Pagula, Madison mm-hmm. Keys, mm-hmm. and Danielle Collins uh, made it to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Big, very big. That is big. huge for women's uh, tennis in the Amer- um, on the American side. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Amazing. Um, I don't know if you remember, but American women do pretty well at the Australian. I don't know about semis or anything, but, you know, they typically make it a few good rounds. I'm pretty happy with, um, I want to say, uh, what is her name? Brady, I think it was, last year. Yeah, Jen Brady. Made a pretty good run. She made it to the finals. Yeah, she made a pretty good run. Uh, we we have a presence at the Australian Open, so that's nothing to laugh at. Or This isn't a surprise for me, personally. I think that this is a good tournament for us. So I'm really happy with the way things are going, and... You know, it's beautiful to see our country's consistency at this Grand Slam. So clearly we do well on hard courts for obvious reasons. And I'm glad to see a few names that I don't see as often making it this far. Um, Collins, I don't I don't recall seeing make a lot of deep runs. Um, Madison Keys is Madison Keys. So, you know, I'm, she makes deep runs to me. She's a threat to anyone on the tour to me. Um, especially on a hard court. So um, it's looking good. I'm really happy to see these results. And I don't think we get an American champion this year at the Australian Open, but I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that. So Someone to uh, replace Serena? Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that, that's, that's a different topic. Right. But, you know, we're knocking on the door of a, a slam here. Yes. Now, um, Danielle Collins has actually made it to the semifinals of the Australian Open before. This is her best result. Uh, it's a semifinal at, this, at the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pagula made a deep run last year at the Australian Open. She lost to Jen Brady. Mm-hmm. And then Madison Keys has actually been struggling. She mm-hmm. even admitted that she started to hate tennis. Mm-hmm. And last year she had very poor results. 
as a mm. matter of fact she didn't have a deep run the last time she had a deep run was when she lost to sloan stevens at the u.s open she lost mm. the the title at the u.s mm. open and in 2021 she admitted that she started to hate tennis Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's this far, this well playing with confidence is a good sign for sure. Very. <laughs> Moving on, Osaka may drop in the rankings. Now, Osaka was outside the top 10 coming in. Uh, she lost to Anna Samova and I want to say the third round. Yeah. And she was defending points. Mm-hmm. So she possibly could drop out of the top 20 once the new rankings come out after the Australian Open. Mm. Do you think, so two questions, do you think she can make it back into the top 10 and do you think she can find top form again? This one for me is a little tricky. Um, She's had, she should have been playing last year for the whole second half of last year. I would have loved to have seen her at least be present for smaller tournaments and important tournaments we don't know what she's been doing with her training at all. And you almost want to have doubts in the training she's performed because of the way the Australian Open turned out for her. Because you go, okay, you decided to step away from the tour tournaments and you knew you were coming back for the Australian to defend your points. And you were unsuccessful and you didn't even make it to week two. Um, for me, I have doubts. Um we know she's not going to do well during the clay season. I have low expectations for grass. She pretty much just lost a ton of points at the Australian, and she has just the remainder of the hardcourt season to compensate. So my expectations are very low. I don't have high hopes for her to get her ranking boosted too quickly. So for now, I'm going to expect her to she'll lock in a top 25 position. I don't expect to see her back in the top 10 until maybe U.S. Open if she's lucky. You know, otherwise, you know, I'm willing, I'll say this. If she doesn't play the French Open, keep her outside your top 10 for the year. Yeah, she's been uh, struggling a lot, as you stated. There's no way she's going to make a deep run at the French on grass. She's uh, a poor performer. So her next big run is going to be right before the U.S. Open. Mm. So uh, she needs to get a lot of confidence back on uh, Clay in order for her to make a deep run, for sure. Now, <clears throat> I want to mention the match with Anna Samova a little bit. That was one of the best women's matches I've seen in a long, long time. Really? Now, Anna Samova is one of the other players that I've been calling out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been calling out Iga which doesn't get a lot of uh, attention by the media. I don't know why, but we'll I don't mention either. her. We'll mention her a little later. But the reason why it was so high quality was because Anna Samova and Osaka were ripping the ball mm-hmm. hard. No top, no nothing. Clearance was extremely low, but they both were changed, changing direction of the ball mm-hmm. clean. So... It was, it was one of the best matches women's I've seen in a long time because of that. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're ripping the ball that hard and changing directions of the ball, that's just clean ball striking. Mm-hmm. So I was extremely impressed. Mm-hmm. And Anna Samova came out of that little group of death. Mm-hmm. She beat Bencic, who was the gold medalist, mm-hmm. um, and then played a, a Osaka and beat her as well, and then had a decent uh, showing with Barty, but Barty just sliced her to death. Mm. So, but keep your eyes open on Anna Samova. So, since I mentioned Iga, 
Uh, we just witnessed her win. Yeah. And again, consistent. She's the only player in 2021 on the female side that made fourth round or better in every single slam last year. Mm-hmm. And she is now in the semifinals of the Australian Open. Mm. What are your thoughts on Iga Sviacic? Show her some respect. That's my statement. <laughs> but yeah, um, this is someone you called on the radar very early on. Um, you're the reason I'm such a big Iga fan. And I'm I'm ecstatic to see her do well this year. I hope that this is a Barty Iga final. And, you know, if one either one of them wins this tournament... I'm happy for the WTA and women's tennis. That's a win for women's tennis if either of them wins the Australian Open. So really looking forward to seeing how this plays out for both of them. And I'm an Iga fan, you know. And the fact that those two are my favorites for this slam is proof to what women's tennis needs more of, which is all-surface, well-rounded, full-arsenal athletes who are able to hit all the shots Short balls, deep balls, left, right, top, slice, flat. All the variety is rewarding. Um, These players are eating off of that. So, you know, these other players who are a little bit more linear, I'm so glad they're not getting rewarded for it. I'm really happy about that. So, yeah, I'm a big Iga fan. And uh, if she wins it, you know, let's party. Uh, You just stole my thunder. But, yes, uh, she has all the shots. Yeah. It's not a linear game. She has a slice. She has a beautiful kick serve mm-hmm. that in women's tennis is not used that much as a weapon. Yeah. So she deserves it for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I agree with you. If it's Barty and uh, Sviacic in the finals, they both deserve to win for sure. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> moving on, Nadal breaks another record. Now, he is tied for second most quarterfinal appearances mm-hmm. in the Australian Open. Believe it or not, not even Djokovic has 14 appearances in quarterfinals, mm. which is interesting. Yeah. Federer has 15, mm. and Nadal has 14. Mm. Are you impressed by Rafael Nadal? I mean, I'm not surprised. And I, I was already impressed, but this is an impressive statistic as well. You know, his longevity speaks volumes to his work ethic and his discipline. And... You know, at this point, it's just a question of what records don't belong to the big three. That's the real question. You know, I assume Djokovic, Federer, or Nadal own almost every record in men's tennis. So it's more interesting now for us. Maybe we should look into maybe a special episode where we just talk about records not owned by the big three. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a hard episode. That'll be a crazy episode. (laughs) But uh, um, Nadal even admitted in one of his press conferences that last year his foot was just killing him Mm -hmm. people were writing him out you know Mm -hmm. he didn't play uh after the french open defeat everybody Mm -hmm. was oh he's done Mm -hmm. and that always happens every time he loses at the french open people write him off and it's you guys need to calm down this is this is one of the biggest champions with the biggest heart and uh i wasn't shocked when he made it to the quarterfinals at all yeah so just another stat uh, let me see here. Yes, uh, he has 36 career semifinal appearances. Uh, Djokovic has 42, and Roger Federer has 46. Jeez. So, there you go. Yeah, I mean, if you want me to be honest with you, we so we associate Roger Federer with 
hardcore and grass courts. We associate uh, Nadal with clay courts, and we associate Djokovic with the Australian Open. But I don't want people to undermine the fact that all three of these guys are absolute elite, phenomenal all-stars on all surfaces. They're the best on every surface. Nadal is an elite grass court player. Yes. Federer is an elite clay court player. These guys, I mean, you could make a debate. They're top five on all three surfaces. I could see that. Um, it's it's debatable, but it's not far-fetched. Um, Nadal on a hard court is actually, a, he's a great player. Um, he has I, more U.S. Opens than Djokovic. He does, you know, so he should not be underestimated. I hate that a lot of people talk about, um, oh, he hasn't won an Australian since, what is it, 2009 or something yes. like that. But it's also, how many semifinals has he been to where he lost to a big three player? How many times has he been injured during the Australian Open? You know, when you really look at it closer, he's almost a favorite at this tournament right now. Right. Um, it's not a crazy thought. So, you know, uh, Nadal needs more respect at the Australian. Federer needs more respect at the French. Djokovic needs needs some type of love because everyone hates him. So. <laughs> there you go. Well put. Now, um, more Nadal news. This is actually funny, sort mm. of. Shapovalov was complaining about Nadal. They had a they had a very interesting match, right? Yes. Uh, after the fourth set, Nadal took a uh, medical timeout mm-hmm. and a bathroom break consecutively, consecutively back to back. Shapovalov at his press conference was saying, "I am not happy with that." So um, to put some things in perspective here. Uh, Nadal won the first two sets back to back. Correct. And then Chapo dug deep and won the next two sets back to back. Yes. Making it two sets apiece with Chapo having the momentum of the match. Yes. Then Nadal takes a medical timeout consecutively with a, like you said, a bathroom timeout. Right. Um, go ahead. So then <clears throat> Shapovalov said. Uh, either in 2020 or 2019, he tried to do the same thing, mm-hmm. and they told him he couldn't do it. Mm. So he was not happy. Mm. So my question to you is, just as Sloane Stevens, do you think it was sour grapes, or does he have a point? I mean, we've we've heard the gripes of Nadal favoritism with the service clock and gripes with Djokovic and the rest the the favoritism over the last few years um we've heard complaints from the lower seated players multiple times I can't personally obviously speak to some of this stuff but it's it's unfortunate I I'm not a fan of any form of favoritism and we both can agree Nadal Nadal is the the main one of the main culprits to taking a little longer than the clock allows. You know, he's definitely a main culprit of that. And it was almost amusing to see during his uh, press conference afterwards him going, "All I can say is I disagree. I disagree." It's like, eh, dude, you you literally go past the time all the time." Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things where for me Everyone should get treated exactly the same. But on the flip side, it's also this is an individual sport where at the end of the day, you need to outplay your opponent regardless of conditions. And Nadal outplayed you. 
You know, that's just the bottom line hard facts. So obviously there is a little bit of bias in like if Chapo had won this match, he probably wouldn't have said any of this. And because he lost it, now it's being used as an excuse. So, I mean, it depends on your perspective. Is Chapo wrong? No. Is it as serious as Chapo's making it? Because he went as far as saying, all of you guys are corrupt. All of you guys are... He basically called the Australian Open a crooked conspiracy. Like, everyone wants Nadal to win this whole tournament, essentially. And I don't think that's true. I do think that there's a little bias and um, a little bit of catering to the bigger names, though. Yeah. Um, Nadal just um, outplayed him, and he deserved to win the match. Now, the funniest part is when Shapovalov uh, made that statement, he also said nothing against Rafa. It's just the umpire's fault why this happened. Mm. I think if you're going to complain about somebody, man up about it. Yeah. You know, that was that was a little cowardly in my opinion mm-hmm. but that was an interesting comment now the other comment the other comment the other uh, um uh thought that had really bugged me was uh carlos bernardis who nadal despises mm-hmm. was refing that uh match mm-hmm. and normally he calls nadal on every single 30 seconds and he, he's penalizing him but this mm-hmm. time he didn't yeah. So I was shocked on that. You know, and I don't know if you watched Nadal's press conference, but he went, I think he is a veteran referee, and I, I think he uh, did a good job at this match. And I That's went, why. And I went, Nadal, <laughs> <laughs> you are making me not want to believe in you a lot more. <laughs> so, so Nadal was showing a lot of love to the Empire, which rubbed me the wrong way also. Um, and on top of that, I mean... The fact that he was getting extra lenient with Nadal when he in the past has been more strict was a little puzzling for me. So I don't I don't really understand that part either. It does sound a little crooked. It does, especially when a guy who normally I think Chapo stated specifically, he said there will be moments where Nadal is on serve. He's about to serve. And I look up at the umpire and instead of the umpire watching the clock and the server, he's staring at me instead. And he said, that just doesn't make any sense. And I agree there. That's that's a little concerning. It shows that the umpire is not concerned with whether or not Nadal hits, hits his time limit or not. So, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Now, uh, I am going to defend Nadal. Um, Djokovic is also a culprit as well with his uh, 95 bounces every time he serves. Big time. So uh, uh, let's not exclude the other culprit for the shot clock. Okay, okay. The big three. Federer is the only one who he's a rhythmic, fast-tempo player. But these other two guys in the big three, they definitely milk that clock. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Moving on. There's a ton of Djokovic news. But I don't want to wear it out. So I am going to talk about the most important part. Now, uh, it stated, the ATP stated that if he is able to play any tournament this year, he he may be banned from the locker room. So where is he going to practice? Where is he going to uh, hit? You know, mm. what are your thoughts? Oh, where is he even going to change? He can't wow. be in the locker room with the with the men. What are your thoughts on the ATP stance on Djokovic? 
you know, I know that there's a very large group of Djokovic haters out there um, who are a fan of Nadal and Federer more that don't want to see him win. It almost sounds like the ATP is also in that club. Um, they just are like, look, man, you got 20 slams. We are ha- we have no interest in seeing you with 21. That's what it sounds like. It seems like Djokovic, by it, it's by choice, you know, for the record, but he's at war with the entire ATP, you know, and that's a war he's not going to win. So he's got to really figure something out because, you know, Stefanos seemed to be at war with the ATP for a bit last year. He was a hot topic for all kinds of different penalizations and vaccine issues and political issues and social issues. And he kind of succumbed to it. And he went, look, at the end of the day, I'm a professional tennis player who's privileged and I want to compete and try to win tournaments. And he broke down and did what he had to do. Djokovic is very stubborn. Maybe maybe it's an arrogance thing. I don't know. But he has no interest in buckling or compromising. And the ATP is going, that's fine. You just won't play. So if that is the case, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for him. You know, at the end of the day. You are a professional athlete, and if the federation that you perform for is requiring certain things, that is a stipulation of the privileges you're allotted, you know? So I think it's his direct quote that pressure is a privilege. Well, what's up? Pressure right now off the court. What's next? <laughs> he stole that from Billie Jean King, so that was cool. But uh, um, look, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. You know what you have to do. Nobody's bending to you. If you really want to make your millions and millions of dollars, you know what you got to do. Stefano Sissipas did it. You need to do it too. It's really that simple. Moving on. Nick Kyrgios news. Now, Mats Vlander again said that Nick Kyrgios is a superstar just as Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that Nick Kyrgios is a superstar like Nadal and Federer? No. Now, is he equally fun to watch? Yes. Um, I think that he's absolutely um, one of the most popular players on the entire ATP tour. I would go as far as calling him a top five most popular player to watch on the tour. Um, I think that he is more fun to watch than Djokovic. I don't think he's more popular than Nadal. And, you know, there's like Fetters and there's a few other players that I think are very well loved no matter what's been going on throughout the whole year. Win or loss, people want to see them play. But when you really, really think about it, there aren't a lot of sell-out-the-stadium men's tennis players right now. There's not a bunch of them. Curios is pretty high on the totem pole as far as demand. So I think this V-Lander is correct. I almost want to say that the WTA has maybe more ticket selling players than the ATP right now. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of funny because I think the ATP has a more steady top five and top ten. But, you know, maybe that's not what it's all about. It's as you stated. The, uh, he put butts in seats. Yeah. He is one of the most popular players on tour. Mm-hmm. In Australia... It's God mode there. Mm-hmm. So technically speaking, the job of a tennis player is to fill the stadium. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. Mm-hmm. So whether you like him or not, he is doing a great job at it. So I can see the star power that he has. Yeah, for sure. 
Now he is in the semifinals of doubles, and some uh, that stadium is small, and it's filling more than the big stadiums just to watch him in Kokonakis. Now here's the very funny part. At the end of round one, he claimed that the trainer of the team that they beat wanted to beat them up because they were being extremely disrespectful. I saw that. And very controversial. Mm. As a matter of fact, the crowd was so loud and obnoxious. It was on on TV. There was a fan drinking beer out of his shoe. And they were saying, oh, yeah, Kyrgios is egging them on. He's egging them on to get loud. And that's obnoxious. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the trainer wanting to beat up Kyrgios? Here's the bottom line. (laughs) Um, Doubles doesn't get televised like singles. Uh, Media doesn't talk about doubles, period, at all, unless there's a singles player playing. I don't think that these guys who played against Kyrgios Kyrios and Kokonakis were prepared for the level of pandemonium that was going to ensue in this match. I think that they got overwhelmed. I don't think that they necessarily are a weaker team or they should have been beaten. I think that they were victims of the moment. Um, they've probably never been in a stadium with that much chaos and energy going against guys who are shot makers. You know, that's the bottom line. They're shot makers. A lot of pressure, and Kyrgios performs his best under these stadium light moments like this. So I think that they were just victims of circumstances, and maybe that infuriated them. Yes. Because they do think that they were a better doubles team, which I won't debate. I won't debate that. But, you know, it's pretty rare as a doubles team like they are who's under the radar. They're not stars, they're not celebrity. They're just high-performing doubles players to get put in this scenario and lose, you know. So, you know, Kyrgios and Kokonakis both openly admitted, look, that crowd was extremely crazy. And we had no intention on doing anything to hinder you, but we are showmen. And we are here to feed the crowd and work off the crowd's energy, and that's what we did. Um, I think that that whole camp was just frustrated with the situation. Oh, for sure. You know. Now, it was interesting to me that the trainer would want to throw down with Kyrgios <laughs> instead of the actual players. But that was pretty funny to me. Now, it's tough to do this. Medvedev, also, when Kyrgios played Medvedev, mm-hmm. he was complaining that that they did the noise, but he's able to shut them out. He's more accustomed to it. Right. He's he's just a beast that way. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he called the Australian fans idiots mm-hmm. and that they're uneducated. Mm-hmm. So he's used to the pressure and mm-hmm. maybe this doubles team wasn't. They've never faced that. So it's just about the thick skin, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting topic. Do you think that'll be a factor moving forward with them getting more and more oh, yeah. hype as they oh, get yeah. closer? Yes. Yeah. In the championship round, uh, the team that they play, they better be ready for a ton of noise. Yeah. They better be ready. No complaints. Mm-hmm. So the last topic, Veratini and Sinner, constant presence in rankings. Now, Veratini is the first Italian to make it to the semifinals of the Australian Open. 
Sinner has a chance to follow, but we don't know yet. He's going to play Nadal. Do you mm. think Berrettini has a shot to beat Nadal? Man. I want to say yes, because I do believe... I mean, you and me have both discussed this. Berrettini is one of the only players on the tour with a forehand RPM level comparable to Rafa Nadal. But I don't know how well Berrettini matches up to lefties. I don't know how well Berrettini matches up to the legendary big three players, because last time uh, it didn't go as well as I was hoping it would for him. And Berrettini is also... I don't know how to explain it, but I'm not absolutely in love with his game. I do think his forehand's incredible. I think he's an amazing athlete. I'm not in love with his game. He f- doesn't feel like a, a top 10 for five straight years player to me. Um, you know, some of these young Canadians, we still have Felix in the draw. You know, um, even Kirio. Some of these guys, their game just makes more sense to me when I visualize it. And I can see longevity in their style of play. But Berrettini's play style does not feel like it has longevity. So I don't have high hopes for him. Um, I expect him to lose to Nadal. I do think his game's phenomenal. I think he has one of the best forehands on the tour right now. But unless he has a really good plan to go, he's going to have to attack the Nadal forehand to win that match. To open up that court. Because if he just tries to poach the Nadal backhand, it's not going to work. Uh, he's going to lose that match. So if he doesn't go in there with an extremely intelligent game plan and execute it perfectly, we'll see him down in three to four sets. He has the biggest forehand on tour in 2021 with the uh, equivalent RPM as Nadal. Mm-hmm. And he has game. He has a serve, big serve. Mm-hmm. So he has that one-two punch. He slices the ball fairly well as well. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm going to use one of your lines right now. Show the man some respect. He has made six consecutive fourth round appearances mm-hmm. and four um, in a row quarterfinals mm-hmm. in slams. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what else Berrettini has to do for you, but he is constant, constant. I think he's an elite athlete. I just don't know how sustainable this play style is of just major big tennis. Um, and also, I don't know how well it's going to do against a Nadal who has seen, literally seen it all. He's yes. seen it all. If he was going against anyone else in this whole tournament, I'd have a different opinion. Medvedev, Sisipa, Wow, Felix, Medvedev, huh? Any of these guys, Interesting. I, I will give Berrettini a little more confidence. But against Nadal, I'm concerned for him. I do think Nadal is playing extremely well. And if Nadal is healthy, I my favorite's Nadal. I can see why you think that. Because uh, Nadal's forehand is definitely going to attack his backhand. Right. So uh, I'm actually shocked that you said even over Medvedev. Mm-hmm. But I can see what you're saying. Yeah. For sure. Now Sinner, again... Uh, he may have a shot at the semis, but he is the second youngest player ever to make a quarterfinal appearance uh, at 20 years old. Nick mm. Kyrgios did it at 19. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Yannick Sinner? Is he going to be up there for the future years to come? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has a fully packaged game. He's not as fun to watch, but the game is there. 
it's very solid it's clean it's well packaged and it will only get better i think that his frame and his strength is still a little bit small and it will expand and get bigger which will make him a better player so uh i'll call it right now keep him on your radar a healthy center for the next five years is a slam winner yeah i can see that for sure mm-hmm. he has a complete game a clean forehand clean backhand mm-hmm. his surf can use a little pop mm-hmm. but yeah you're right he, he is a clean ball striker for sure yeah yeah and he's a part of an era where there's gonna be no nadal federer Djokovic. yeah we've talked about this before yes but he's he's the only player i think is really timing it well he's gonna enter his prime when the game is wide open Right. It's going to be an older Chapo, an older Felix. Those are going to be his his big bros on the tour. You know, Those are going to be the guys who are seasoned, quote-unquote. He's going to do just fine. And honestly, there's no one I can think of that's going to be a true threat to him in his yeah, time. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I am going to bring something up that I was going to bring up last uh, next week, but it's current news, so I'll just bring it up now, and then we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um Kei Nishikori is going to have surgery on his hip. He's going to be out for at least six months. Oh, my gosh. Do you think he can come back and perform at his height? This is... Do we know what's wrong with his hip at all, by any chance? I didn't see that. All I know is that he's going to have a hip surgery. If it's anything like Murray, it's an extremely difficult process to recovery. Um, the difference between, for me, Kenny uh, Shikori and Murray, Murray didn't have any other major injuries prior to this, which is good for the mental uh, because it makes you feel like if you overcome this one little thing that you can get back to where you were. With that being said, Kenny Shikori is essentially the paper man. Yes. You know, um, he's had shoulders, elbows, wrists, hips. I'm not sure, maybe even knees. Um, it's been pretty much all major portions of the body getting injured for him throughout his whole career. My hopes are going to be very low for him. It is admirable to know that Murray was able to get a full resurfacing of his hip and come back and play like he's a top 20 athlete for sure. But I'm not going to put Kaney Shikori in the same cloth as an Andy Murray. I'm not going to do that. So for me, my my confidence is a little lower. I I feel bad for him. You know, hip is a major injury. So yeah, Kenny Shikori doesn't open up the court as Murray does. Yeah, and uh, Delpo, who's most likely going to be coming back in February, mm-hmm. he doesn't have that power that Delpo has. Right. So there's I, I don't see much hope for Nishikori, but I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So is there any other topics? Uh, I did want to just make this isn't a big topic or anything, but okay. um, obviously Gelman Fee made a great run at the Australian he Open. Did. Um, during his press conference, Gelman Fee basically said he's not willing to give up his hopes that he is going to win a slam and that he does believe there is one in his future and he's going to keep working towards that. What is your perspective on the uh, the possibility of maybe within the next year or two, Gail Monfi winning an entire Grand Slam? I actually see it. He was struggling also in 2020 and 21, mm-hmm. but he's been playing for 20 years, and this is the best I've seen him. Exactly. Uh, he has improved his serve a lot. Mm-hmm. He sort of has a 
Andy Roddick type serve. It, it's mm. getting him a lot of cheap points. Mm-hmm. He's not being the showman anymore. Mm. He's not trying to do those fancy moves. And mm. he's just playing a work hard tennis, mm. blue collar. So I actually see him making deep runs. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he can get past the semis, I don't know yet. But I can see it. This is, we're starting to enter the transition era of men's tennis. And this is an opportunistic moment for a few people nickel and dime. Right. You know, sneak a slam here, sneak a slam there. Um, Maybe next week, if we remember, we can talk about how this year's Wimbledon is the most opportunistic slam of the last 10 years. Yeah, I can see that. You know, uh, if assuming Djokovic isn't there... There's no blatant favorite, period, for this slam. At all. Um, that'll be something to discuss. But um, this was the ATP podcast. This is a great episode. A lot of good content. Yeah, it was a lot of uh, a lot of topics. But uh, I hope you guys were entertained. See you next week with uh, Australian Open results. Peace.